Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton, Sophia Rivas Herrera, and Enrique Alvarez here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Sophia, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Starting the last Monday of January, finally. Don't you feel like January lasts so long? <laughs> You know, I can't believe I can't believe we're almost into February 2023. So, uh, but I guess it was a long month for you, Sophia. Is that right? It it felt that way, but <laughs> good start of 2023. That is right. That is right. Enrique, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Scott. It's always a pleasure to be here with you, and of course, Sophia. Very nice to see you again. Well. We're delighted to have y'all both here. Today's about all that supply chain budget. Every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time, we tackle the leading developments and news really across global business. And man, we get to do it. Greg is on assignment, we'll call it, right? His Kansas City Chiefs won last night. So he is on assignment doing some in-depth reporting. Uh, so we've got Sophia and Enrique with us here today, and we can't be more delighted to walk through the news and, and getting y'all's take on some of what's going on out there. So Enrique... And Sophia, you're all buckled up, ready to go? We're ready. Ready to go. Ready to go. All right. Y'all are always ready, uh, uh, <laughs> I believe. Always ready. Uh, and folks, not only are you going to hear me and Enrique and Sophia talk about what's going on in global business, but we want to hear from you. We see a bunch of folks already in the comments. We will be sharing your perspectives throughout. And uh, and I want to start by saying hello to a few folks, Sophia and Enrique. Let's see who's who's with us already here today. We've got uh, Kanchan. Tuned in from India via LinkedIn. Great to see you here today. Uh, Cecil is back with us from Grand Rapids, Michigan, uh, also via LinkedIn. Shelly Phillips, she is a regular here, Sophia and Enrique. And Shelly always brings it from uh, uh, the beautiful state of Colorado. Have, have either one of y'all been ever been to Colorado? Not yet. Not yet. I have. It's a beautiful state. Beautiful state. For it sure. is. Uh, Shelly, great to see you here. And, and Sophia, I like your optimistic answer. Not yet. Not yet. Sounds like uh, uh, you're going to, that's on your bucket list, maybe. Um, Terry Butler tuned in from uh, the awesome city of Chicago. Also via LinkedIn. Great to see you here. Uh, Josh Goody. Hey, we're getting the weather report uh, right on cue from beautiful Seattle, Washington. Sunny. And 25 degrees, Sophia, Enrique, 25 degrees. And that's Fahrenheit, right? <laughs> Josh, bu bundle up, 25. That is cold. And I, and I wonder how much rain y'all have been getting. Uh, Catherine is holding down the Fort Force on YouTube. Great to see you, Catherine. Happy Buzz Day indeed. Uh, hey, David, great to see you here uh, via LinkedIn. Um, all kidding aside, very um, really hated to hear about uh, your family member. So prayers and best wishes are with uh, your family, uh, David. Uh, and finally, I know we couldn't hit everybody, but Adrian, Adrian's back with us here in Atlanta, GA, open to connect. Love that, as we all are. Okay, Enrique and Sophia. So before we get into our first uh, item today, we're going to share something we put out over the weekend. Before we do that, uh, I'd like for both of y'all to give me and give our global supply chain now family. What's one cool thing you did over the weekend? Sophia, you, you were sharing a couple things pre-show and we're going to hear from Enrique too. But Sophia, what was a cool thing you did over the weekend? Yeah, so I did uh, an activity that I haven't done for 20 years. So in my city, there's every Sunday they close the streets and you can go on bikes or just walk them. And I did that when I was very little with my family once, but we never came back. And yesterday I went with some friends over there and I was riding a bike again. And it was so, I mean, I felt like a, a whole new experience again. And it was nice. I didn't fall. So that was good. <laughs> and it was and the weather cooperated too. It was a gorgeous day yeah. as well. Right, Sophia? Gorgeous day, and it was kind of nice to finally uh, experience and leave that those streets that you always go by car. Mm. 
but you just suddenly see like pedestrians only. That was nice. I love that different perspective. Well, love that and love is something new you, you hadn't done in 20 years. Uh, by the way, Jose, great to see you here. Hey, love the hi. content y'all turn out. Uh, so nice to see you, Jose, via LinkedIn uh, from Las Vegas. This go around. So Jose, safe travels. Enjoy Las Vegas. Great to see you. Okay, Enrique, that's going to be tough to top. So Sophia did something she hadn't done in 20 years. Really enjoyed it. I can. I just love the picture she painted as she described it. What's one thing you did this weekend? Not going to even try to top it. I'm sure that it was a lovely day biking. Uh, 25, different scale though, uh, weather. Yeah. Uh, but um, I, we had some friends over for dinner on Saturday and haven't really seen them in a very long time before the pandemic. So we, we had a blast. And I did want to say something uh, to Jose Montoya. He's in Las Vegas or in Nevada. And um, there's the manifest um, manifest conference this week. And so I'll be there. I know Jose will be there. But if Jose, you are just let's see if we can meet. Well, now, Enrique, you're really humble. But you're one of the uh, you're one of the uh, esteemed speakers at Manifest this coming week. So looking forward to hearing all your good things as you wow them. Yeah, you you made it sound that you were just an attendee. <laughs> <You're not. laughs> well, I will be speaking too, but it's a very very good conference. It'll go the whole week. So I just yes, uh, always uh, too humble. But love that Enrique. Looking forward to hearing your key takeaways from the week coming up. Okay. So uh, on a different note, kind of switching gears here, I want to bring this in. So uh, Enrique and Sophia, uh, once a week, we publish with that said, right? It's a uh, LinkedIn newsletter put out by the Supply Chain Now team uh, that we've been doing, I don't know, for probably three or four months now. Um, and we try to make it to be very different content than, than everything else we do, podcast, streams, webinars, whatever. And this past weekend was the 37th anniversary of the Space Shuttle challenger disaster right uh that iconic moment for for um, a lot of folks at least uh, maybe in, in my generation and others you know exactly where you were when you got the news you know and uh and it's just a terrible terrible loss um for uh, seven astronauts their families um the space program uh you know was set back for quite some time uh i want to ask y'all a quick question um do you remember where y'all were i mean enrique do you remember where you were when you saw the news about the challenger i i i don't exactly remember where I was. I was in Mexico City at the time, and I remember actually watching it on TV. I could have been either with my mom or my grandmother because they usually dropped us off at my grandmother's house um, before school sometimes. But uh, I do remember the image when mm. the whole thing happened, and, and it was just definitely sad. Oh, it was awful. Awful. Awful, yeah. Sophia, any thoughts about the, the shuttle program or the, the challenge disaster? So that was on 86, right? That's right. So I was still being uh, planned in my family to appear in the world. Yep. And no, but I, I do, I do recall it through my family's uh, memories of what they were doing. And I think uh, there was a high expectation from everyone to work, right? Mm. For that mm. to work. And also a lot of excitement. I think at least my dad had... Uh, his hopes up uh, when he was a kid to be an astronaut. Really? And when he saw that it, it was actually happening, he uh, was very excited about it. And mm. and I do remember when when learning about this event, uh, it was very tragic. And right. also it kind of made everyone feel like, okay, what? So it's not, we are not able to do it. Mm. But I think that apart from that, uh, we carried on, right? Yes, that's right. It wasn't a, a complete loss of effort and in hard work, but also like a way of, I would say, transcending these astronauts, transcending everyone's life. Right. Yeah. Well put. Very poetic, Sophia. And uh, I'd love to learn more about your father's um, uh, aspirations to be an astronaut because I, I really think. Uh, the shuttle program, because it ran from the um, late 70s through 2011. So my daughter, my oldest daughter was two years old when the, the shuttle came to an end. So they don't know a whole bunch about uh, the shuttle program. But to your point, Sophia and Enrique, I think it did. Um, it inspired the program really inspired all sorts of folks around the globe. Right. And 
I think the silver lining, which you kind of spoke to there, Sophia, with the Challenger disaster, you know, these seven brave souls right here, um, really, um, they, they became uh, inspirations and uh, inspired many folks to uh, serve, whether you're in the space industry or whether, you know, you're doing something else, um, you know, from a, especially from like a technology standpoint. So, you know, lives were not lost in vain. By any means, uh, and and a, a few folks, Larry, great to see you. He was watching it on TV, as as was I, uh, Larry, in grade school. Uh, David was watching at school. You know, uh, Krista McAuliffe was the school teacher that was going up on the Challenger on that fateful day in 1986. So, um, but lives were not lost in vain. Hopefully, we can all find some inspiration, uh, not just with the shuttle, but um, uh, each of those seven astronauts. So, so tying it all together. For with that said, we really focused on snippets of each of those seven astronauts, maybe some things you didn't know about their background and whatnot. So um, check that out every uh, Saturday, uh, usually Saturday morning. It kind of depends on how busy Enrique and Sophia our Saturday morning is. So um, anyway, moving right along. So y'all ready to dive into our first story here today, Enrique, Sophia? Absolutely. All right. On a much, much lighter note, we're going to be talking about flowers, right? So I want to start with this story as Valentine's Day is just around the corner. Now, Valentine's Day, y'all might know this, the number one holiday in the U.S. for spending on flowers. Get this, 28% of all money spent on flowers for all holidays all year long is spent all on Valentine's Day. But as reported by Global Press Journal, supply chain issues, like everything else, continue to plague the flower industry. Now, this story, I'm going to probably say this name incorrectly, Enrique and Sophia. So y'all help me out here. Zinacontin? Zinacontin? Am I coming close with that that region in southern Mexico? No. Not okay. Really. Please. <laughs> not even close. <laughs> please. So I'll let Sophia actually take this one because I believe it's close to where she is. Zina Cantan. Ah, Zina Cantan. Zina Cantan. Oh, wow, you did it really fast. Well, <laughs> you, you gave me a great, uh, you gave me a great Zina Cantan. So it's yeah. in Southern Mexico. And Correct. this is a, a, a major floriculture market, right? But critical chemicals for forming, uh, farming flowers, rather, well, the costs have risen dramatically, doubling or even tripling. Now, Mexico imports two-thirds of its uh, nitrogen fertilizer, with a lot of that coming from Russia, which obviously is a much different market right now as opposed to 18 months ago. Now, some say that there's an opportunity at this moment, given all those constraints, to move their fertilization methods to a more sustainable, locally found option. But of course, price increases are being passed on to, to customers. Here in the US, some markets and analysts are reporting that flower prices are 25% higher this year than last year. And here's a did you know, and then I'm going to get Sophia and Enrique's take here. According to the American Society of Florists, 250 million roses are produced for Valentine's Day alone. Holy man, that's, that's a huge number. So, Sophia, your thoughts here uh, on what's going on? Well, I think that basically I, I do feel there's an opportunity for local sourcing of fertilizers. Um, but on the other hand, it's very important to find one that kind of equates to the effect that the Russian one had, right? Or like that quality level. And because at the end, uh, you want that same effect, perhaps at a better price and, and better um, conditions for your health as well. And, and not trying to use more of a new one, right? Mm. It, will, it won't work that way. And I think another part of why is it so hard, um, I would say to balance cost in this type of supply chain is because at the end, uh, you the value of a flower, especially from Mexico, I think the, the raw cost of it is very low. So adding value to it in a way of how can we make this product yeah, of, of a higher value, right? Mm. I It fulfills one day of demand, right? Which would yep. be uh, uh, Valentine's Day. Other flowers will, and we've talked about this in previous shows, right? But in other parts of the year, but it's a very seasonal 
uh, being a product that you sell. Yes, that's right. And these places are very rich in the type of ground, very rich in the type of uh, nutrients that a flower and weather as well. So all the conditions are there, but once you want to uh, commercialize it or sell it elsewhere, that's when it breaks, especially mm. in Mexico. So even though you have all these high production of flowers, they don't get to where they need to be so fast enough mm. or well enough. Yeah. And, and to your, cause to your point, we as consumers, we all want those blemish free, the, those perfect flowers to your point, Sophia, that's a great point. Now, Enrique, I'm gonna get your take here, but Nerf first says, looks like I'll be shopping for flowers at the local <laughs> plastic shop this Valentine's day. Don't tell my wife though. Nerf said, Nerf, great to have you here via LinkedIn as always. All right. So Enrique, uh, your thoughts here on the story. Well, one of the things that really caught my attention the most, uh, when I read this article was like, there has to be a, a shift in the way that consumers perceive all these different products, which Sophia a little bit alluded to it. But I feel like if we want to continue having this like incredibly red, huge flowers, I mean, that really cannot be achieved with a organic, more uh, natural ways of manufacturing or planting and producing this type of flower. So for me, it will be interesting. And we see something similar, Scott, in the uh, fruit market and vegetables, right? I mean, all those different fruits that are not perfectly rounded or not perfectly colored, they're being basically just trashed. And mm. uh, so we'll see what happens to the flowers, but uh, but I guess uh, consumers will have to be uh, changing their mindsets a bit to, to not expect the, I guess, amazing looking flowers that we can all get, but definitely value the fact that sustainability is important. And that's definitely more... Uh, should be more appealing than maybe just having like a super big rose or having like a super red rose. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. and, and on that note, I think uh, it's also a matter of rebranding, right? What is right. beautiful? Right. What is a good flower? Uh, isn't it, is it, should it be more the thought of it, right? To a nurse point, does it matter yes. if it's plastic, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, can we do a better job at, Okay, these are the things that you can get in a better sourcing and manufacturing way. Uh, can we abide to those standards and, and like those standards as well? And I guess to your point, Sophia, I feel like that's a very good way of actually adding a little bit more value because we know that people are willing, up to 10% of the people are willing to pay a green premium or a sustainability premium for products that they know are sourced ah. correctly and um and made with natural uh raw materials so to your point we probably tackle both kind of uh problems at the same time these farmers down in mexico could potentially um make a little bit more margin right if they do or start shifting their supply chain towards the more sustainable alternatives so we're going to touch on that that's, that's a nice little tease there enrique we're going to touch on that in, in the latter half of the show but i love y'all's perspective here um, a lot of, a lot of great, uh, great take there. And, and as Nerf said, kind of what Sophia was talking, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. And as Sophia said, the, it's the thought that counts. Uh, so Nerf, uh, you, you started quite a discussion here. <laughs> I, I still think that Nerf has to go with the real flowers. He might get in trouble <laughs> this, right. this Valentine's day. So you just want right. to point it out. Yeah, don't don't blame the buzz uh, crew here, Nerf. <laughs> if you do get plastic flowers, we're all recommending you get the real deal. Perhaps, um, okay. Uh, and going back to that, the Challenger story, T squared, like many of us, and T squared holds down the fort as well on YouTube. The original OG there, uh, and he remembers the Challenger story very well. Seared into the consciousness of me, like so many folks uh, agreed. Uh, T squared, just a terrible disaster. Um, okay, on a uh, well, I was going to say a much lighter note but unfortunately it's not because we're going to be talking about uh the supply chain of war and and uh war fighting so uh, as reported here by forces.net and many others it's been the news everywhere here lately nato countries have made a big commitment uh recently to ukraine where they're going to be sending modern tanks to help the country repel the ongoing invasion by russia which is almost a year year old now man ton of suffering uh, so the main tanks being contributed that all of y'all are hearing, uh, the Challenger tank from Great Britain, uh, the Leopard 2 from Germany. Now, I've heard the Leopard 2, which which 
you know, being a kind of a bit of a military nerd for all of my life, I've always heard it referred to as the leopard. However, in some of the interviews, including with military experts, I've heard them pronounce it leopard, which is interesting. But regardless, the Challenger tank, the Leopard 2, and of course, here, pictured here, the M1 Abrams uh, tank from the U.S. But beyond the training on operations and maintenance that, that these um, commitments are going to require, new supply chains to especially keep these tanks fueled up are going to be needed. The Abrams, in particular, is perhaps the thirstiest, the biggest gas guzzler between the three tanks. As some analysts say that the tank, the Abrams, uses 10 gallons of gas per hour just to essentially idle and 60 gallons an hour when moving in combat and, 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 and moving positions. And by the way, it can run on a variety of fuels, but as everyone's heard, the JP-8, a.k.a. jet fuel, is preferred to run the Abrams. So lots of concerns out there in the defense uh, community in terms of setting up successful fuel supply chains and other logistics that will allow Ukraine to be able to take full advantage of the tanks and and, and bring them into the battle in a very effective uh, means. So, Enrique, I'll start with you here. Your thoughts on um, on this topic? Well, I, I heard someone said once um like a like a good general talks a lot about strategy, but an excellent general talks about logistics. And this is a really <laughs> clear example of what this is all about. They're sending all these tanks that could make a, a huge impact in repelling the Russian forces, but at the same time, it's posing a very challenging situation on the Ukrainian logistics team to figure out how to move them, fuel them, and uh, put them to good use. So it just kind of shows, I think it's a very interesting example of something that's well-intentioned as that, that may or may not be used efficiently, right? That's right. That's right. And Sophia, I'm coming to you next, but really quick, Josh says, not to mention the mechanics and, and that talent, right. all the spare yeah. parts, the ammo, all that stuff that, You're that fixing needs them, to come to the tanks. Them. That's right. Sophia, your thoughts here. Yeah, I, I think um, Josh is spot on on his comment. It's not only about uh, gas, but also about everything else that's needed to actually working, right? And, and, and yeah, echoing a bit of, of what Enrique said is, it's kind of when you choose a tool for your company to solve a problem and you get the tool and then, and then you are like, but how do I use it? And right. Uh, I, I feel it's the same kind of problem. It's like, oh, we have this problem. We need to solve it now. You get the tool and then it's, ah, but it's not the right thing. Or, oh, we don't have the talent to work in. Or we don't have the parts um, or the kind of, of fuel or or it's in another language, perhaps. And, and that's always a, a barrier and always a, an obstacle that... At the end, we put to ourselves because right. we're very focused on the now, but not the whole picture, right? Yes, well said. And and to your point, Sophia, I bet in the uh, late 70s, I think is when the M1 Abrams tank uh, came into service. I doubt that um, working instructions were thought of. There's going to be a future need to be written in Russian or Ukrainian <laughs> or that language, right? They've got to reinvent all of that to make sure these folks, to your point, Sophia, they can they can take these advanced um, uh, weapons of war and put them into use. Uh, and Rick, I'll give you the final word here on this uh, this tank story. Well, it just gives you a better sense of how integrate logistics is for everything we do, right? Yep. And we take a lot of these things for granted, and uh, and I think you can see it in any single thing we do. It's very very uh, detail-oriented. Everything has some logistics component to it. And of course, now I'm sure that the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian um, people using these tanks are going to find a way to do it efficiently and effectively. And again, we hope that this horrible, horrible war ends up soon. Yes, that's right. Uh, on a lighter note, uh, it was, it's been rumored that just taking this shot, the tank used 370 gallons of gas <laughs> just taking the picture here but uh um and one of the one of the point you know because the ukrainian military has been using the t-72 tank which of course is the older russian tanks been around for a long time the m1 abrams is i read that is 20 to 30 tons heavier 
than the T72. So lots, and of course, uh, while they know the T72 like the back of their hand, they got to learn three new pieces of very complex equipment. So we'll see how that it goes. And to Shelly's point here, plus the amount of training needed to operate, right? We all yeah. touched on that, these very sophisticated tanks. Absolutely. And um, all that, sorry, uh, yeah, go all ahead. those gas consumption, it made me kind of think like, does it does the term sustainability in war exist? Mm. I don't know. Actually. I don't. I don't know either. I've got a hunch. Uh, I think it's a great question. Uh, I've got a hunch that that is one of the first things that gets sacrificed yeah, uh, exactly. in war. But but you know what? As we all know, who wants to be at war, right? War. No there, there are no winners, right? There's no winners. There's a, there's a ton tons of suffering. Um, and and so on. Here's here's the uh, best part of all this, Enrique and Sophia, in my view. Um. Let me get Jerry's comment in here before I do that. So Jerry says the biggest issue on these tanks is speed to market. It's going to be interesting to see which tanks are in use by the Ukrainians first. I agree, uh, Jerry. And from what I understand, um, it's going to probably be the Leopard uh, tank will be the first to actually um, get get on the scene and get trained up and be able to be put into combat. But we'll see. It's a great point there, Jerry. Um, but here's the here's the best news, I think, related to anything with Ukraine is, is folks – You've got this outstanding initiative that's being led by Maureen and Enrique and the Vector Global Logistics team. But it's really built, and it stands, as Enrique will tell you, it stands on the shoulders of a, uh, a global community of folks that want to make a difference. So, of course, I'm talking about this le Leveraging Logistics for Ukraine initiative, which has been going on, Enrique, I would say about six months. Is that close? Yes, and I can't believe that it's been this long, as you mentioned before. Yes, yeah, it's, it's sad that it's had to continue. But... Um, real outcomes as, as folks here on the buzz have heard us talk about over 670,000 pounds of humanitarian aid has been shipped and, and, uh, made it into Ukraine and Poland in that region that for folks that really are in need. And I'm really proud of what y'all have been leading and the, the global family that's come together to support this effort and get stuff done. So here's your opportunity. So next week, there's a, a once a month meeting that not only helps coordinate these efforts, but they have great speakers that come to these meetings. The, on the last one I attended, they had an American that volunteered. His name is uh, Bak, um, Bakrat Brad. Is that right, Enrique? Brad, yep. So Bakrat Brad has volunteered to go overseas and help evacuate people. And he's evacuated hundreds of folks. He was interviewed by NBC News and, and really saved those Ukrainian lives, getting them out of harm's way, getting them into Poland and elsewhere. So he spoke, and we could ask him questions at, at the last meeting. So, folks, join us. If you you can show up just to soak it all in, you can show up to uh, kind of figure out where you could play your part, or if you've got something to bring to bear, resources, you name it. Hey, all of you are welcome. Uh, Enrique, I'll give you a quick thought. Uh, what would you? How would you encourage people to to get involved here? Well, I think it's everyone's responsibility. I think we all have a say into this war and the effects that we're seeing in this war. I mean, the first comment that you made was about this flower uh, people down in Mexico being struggling because there's a war in Ukraine. Mm. So this world belongs to all of us. So we should all be involved. We should all be outraged by what's, what's going on. And I would also say that uh, if you're out there and you're listening to this episode, uh, if you have any potential... Uh, products that you want to donate or can donate and you want us to ship them we're still offering to ship some of those products for free we've been shipping two containers for free since this started and we'll continue doing so so i feel like now we're running a little bit low on the companies that are uh donating products so if if you know anyone or are one of those companies or people just let us know and join the conversation well said enrique sophia your thoughts around this leveraging logistics for ukraine initiative yeah, I think those uh, those sessions sometimes uh, we we feel like we cannot contribute to them, but some sometimes just by attending it's it, it's a kind of roundtable format. So I like it because just by hearing something will come to your mind. Perhaps mm. not you directly can uh, help with something you do, but you it will make you think oh I know someone that does these that might be good for etc right so something yep. will trigger 
a thought in your mind to participate. So don't feel like you cannot, you don't have any impact on, on positive impact in, in the Ukraine war. Well said. There's something, there's always something you can uh, do. Yeah, Sophia. And the the effort's getting to the right people, right? Which is the other part Correct. when you're donating things. You have to make sure that you're actually getting it to the people that needed it the most. And Scott, maybe at some point we can link the uh, interview uh, that was made because we showed some videos and pictures, not only of the products that we've been helping send, but also of the letter campaign. And we we sent, I think, about 2,500 letters. Um, so it'll be... It just makes it real. Yes. And once I think you make it real, people are incredibly willing to help out. That's right. Folks, uh, the first step is joining this monthly planning session, really the monthly meeting of Kindred Spirits, February 7th. That's next Tuesday, a week from tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern time. We'd love to have you. And as Sophia mentioned, it is a butterfly effect. Something good will come out of it. So, And, and clearly, the outcomes, the numbers we're talking about, driven by this global a family of concerned citizens and folks that want to do good um, is testament to that. So, um, okay, two other quick comments since we're still on the Ukrainian issue here. Grog says that, uh, Greg, great to see you here today. The Abrams tank, from his understanding, is going to have a difficult issue with parts, probably spare parts. Also heard that the top secret army, armor on the sides will be removed. That is a differentiator between the Abrams and other modern battle tanks. Now, Josh and Greg, you may be a veteran too. I don't know. I know Josh. I think Josh is an army veteran, I believe. Josh says, depends on the tech inside. Most times the U.S. or any country sells military vehicles. They don't include an up-to-date tech package. Has the ground hardened yet in Ukraine? I don't know. Abrams was meant for sand and rock. Not sure how that beast handles the mud. Excellent point there, Josh. Okay. So let's... Um, and this, I'm not sure who this LinkedIn user is. This uh, we'll find out though. Uh, they say, "Well said, Enrique. I think that is where hesitancy originates. Is my donation helping the correct people? Excellent point. And we've got boots on the ground. We're talking with the families and the individuals in need. Coordinate. You know, they're a big part of the process here. But that's a great point. Um, okay. And that, uh, that's Brandon. So Brandon, appreciate that that point there. All right, folks. Let's keep on driving. We're going to be talking. We're going we're going to shift major gears here. I love talking retail, uh, retail supply chains, and you know we're all consumers. And I think you know, practitioners and consumers, that's a very interesting uh, intersection, always in, in my mind, at least. Uh, let's see here. We, from our friends at Retail Dive, uh, great article here, which speaks to eight trends, eight, that direct-to-consumer brands are working through that we all need to keep our eye on for 2023. So, I'm going to share a couple of these that were mentioned rather than go through all of them. And then we're going to get uh, Sophia and Enrique's take here. So uh, one of them is a much bigger focus on profitability rather than just grow, grow, grow. I didn't think that was a 2023 trend. I think that's been around for a long time, but hey, I digress. <laughs> uh, demand from consumers on more sustainability in retail continues to increase. And, uh, Sophia, we were just talking about that, you and Enrique. Rethinking returns. And charging for them, perhaps. Y'all may be familiar with all the returns and reverse logistics uh, interviews we've had here with our good friend Tony Shirota and RLA. And the balancing act of brick and mortar and uh, e-commerce, right? And digital commerce. Uh, those are just a couple of those that were featured in this article. Sophia, which one of those or, or the other four really caught your eye? Mm, perhaps I'm, I'm going to touch on, on returns a little bit. Sure. If I were to be the queen of returns or something like that, I would be so strict on policy returns. Mm. Like, I feel like this huge customization of you can return it through this channel. You can uh, return it for us. Uh, you can keep it for as long as you want, and there's no restriction on the X days that you have to uh, you have to until returning or um, those kind of things are have been like shooting in our feet all this time <laughs> like, and and we know this and we've experienced it and we still have all our returns piled up in many diseases around the world and there is no way uh, to tackle those and put them back to shelf at a faster pace because we are also very concerned 
on the output of whatever we were selling, right? Mm. So that's just one idea. Yeah. Maybe it's a very uh, intense idea, but I feel like there should be a play from the consumer to be responsible for oh. their returns. And that also echoes to sustainability. Yep. Yeah. Uh, love your thoughts there. And if Greg White were here, he would vehemently disagree with what I'm going to say. We've talked about this before. But I, as a consumer, would be happy to pay some sort of return fee, right? Especially, I mean, if it doesn't, if a, if a product doesn't work, I think if we look at it category by category, you know, really break it down, I think there's some gains to be made. But just this um, this weekend, Ricky, I'm going to get you next. Just this weekend, I was buying. Have y'all bought uh, lights for your kitchen recently? You know, um, that is a nightmare. It is a nightmare. <laughs> so there's there's three thousand million different types, and you, you got um, eighteen hundred serial numbers. And I, I went to uh, I went to our my local um, hardware store, and I need to get three types of bulbs. I was one for three, uh, Enrique and Sophia. <laughs> Terrible, good in baseball, but that's it. And so I had to take the bulbs that that were not a good fit back. And I tell you what, I did, Sophia and Enrique. I made sure I protected them. I repackaged them just like they were. You know, I, I made sure when I was opening them, I didn't you know tear it up because I want. I really want those bulbs to hit the shelf again and get right. resold. And that's one of the greatest challenges with returns. We, we're not. They don't. They aren't able to be repurchased. But Enrique, enough of my yammering. Your thoughts here around this uh, the article, the uh, eight retail uh, trends that uh, retail dive has identified. Well, no, I actually. Uh Agree a little bit. The trick there, just to uh, finalize that comment, and I'll move on to one of the other sectors, uh, segments that caught my attention is, well, how do you do that in such a way that you're not discouraging clients from buying? Right. And and who will be the first one to do it, right? Because that's the other thing. We kind of like race each other to the bottom of things <laughs> in many, many different things. We're like, oh, we'll give this for free. And then this other person gives this for free. And then there's no coming back. So we're already kind of like very deep down into the hole of this. But I, I agree. It's a it's a big, big problem. You have interviewed multiple people and you have talked with Greg extensively <laughs> about returns. Because <laughs> it's a very interesting topic. And there's really not like a very... Um, customer-facing solution out there that, that might be applicable and practical and efficient, but, but we'll continue talking about that. I wanted to yes. shift gears a bit. It'll only get more important, Enrique. It will only get more important, yes. And, and sustainability is a big part of that, too. So I think that maybe if you couple it with sustainability, like Sophia said, maybe you can start kind of creating some awareness in the consumers to, to be like, well, you're not really paying for this. You're really paying for all this uh, sustainability and emissions that you're causing by having to return uh, more than what you normally should be returning. Yes. Yep. I uh, I was very fascinated by the uh, brick and mortar kind of uh, balance, right? How much of that do you want to do it online? How much do you actually want to have a store? And, and, and the thing that I thought about is we've been locked in for almost two years. Right. Some of the kids that kind of started pandemic when they were 13, now they're 15, which is my personal example with my children. And uh, But some of them were 15, logged in for two years, now they're 17. And before this, you you mentioned that you took your kids to the mall for right. the first time. So my thing, my, I'm thinking, well, it's very exciting yes. because at the end of the day, I feel like all these retail chains are, don't know the answer and they'll have to really test. And no one really knows the answer because we've been locked in for like two years. So this whole new consumer base is coming to the market and we don't know whether they would like to go back to the malls. Would they like to go and buy? Would they? So I think that's going to be a, a very good opportunity for companies and, and a very good opportunity for companies that come in very open-mindedly and create something new. Because now I think it's the right time to do it. Yes. Yeah. All right. So you called me out. He called me out, Sophia. So I've got to, <laughs> I got to shed some light. I had to. Hey, we did, you know, um, when I lived in the perimeter area of Atlanta, I'd go, I'd pop in the perimeter mall. That was pretty uh, BK before kids. But I, we, as a family, we've never gotten off. Oh, okay. BK. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I got that acronym. Right? I was like. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we took the whole family to um, Mall of Georgia over the weekend. And it was the first time, as Enrique said, we've ever been to the mall as a family. And, it, and I kind of yeah. wanted to, you know, do some window shopping to get some steps in, you know, 
Uh, but I got to, sh- and, and it was a good experience and we'll, we'll be back, but I got to share this with y'all Enrique and Sophia. I think I, I may have touched on this pre-show. We went to a pet store and I'm not going to name them uh, as we're you know, considering adding another pet folks. They wanted six- another pet. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> um, folks, they wanted $6,000 for a beagle puppy, $6,000. I was blown away. You can finance and, and they allowed financing, which is, is, is this interesting, is interesting world we live in um, anyway, but yeah, it was, it was good to get out and uh, it's really interesting. I enjoyed reading through all of these trends. You know, some of them were what's old is new again, but some of them were really made you think about where retail um, is heading, where we are yeah. and where we're heading next. So good stuff there. Just yeah. one note on that um, because I, I read a, a, dif- a similar, well, a related article uh, during the weekend uh, this is targeted for the Latin America uh, consumers, but it's interesting because it says that um, consumers really in, in these on these trips to go into the mall or to uh, a retail store, they really want their trip to be worth it, right? So they really value that they can do a lot of things at the same place. And this is basically because of the shift we had on COVID. So we really reduced our, uh, well, many people that had this ability to stay at home, reduced their commuting time. Mm. So now commuting time or the hours you spend on traffic is really uh, valued, right? So they want to, if they're going, they want to be able to shoot two birds with one stone, right? Yes. So that's another thing that could possibly rethink the way in which we build these stores and the type of services that we provide there. That's such a great point because I, I, uh, unlike the old days, uh, and I, you know, I worked in retail, you know, where customers were willing to, you know, stand in line and, and, you know, that's, that's changed quite a bit to your point, Sophia. So that'd be an interesting consideration moving forward. Um, okay. I want to get to a couple of these comments here. Uh, Jerry says, can we charge for returns without offending the customer, especially if the reason for the return is a mistake of the supplier or retailer? Some great questions there. And Greg, along those same lines, says U.S. consumers have become accustomed. I might say spoiled, Greg. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They've been accustomed to no question, no questions asked returns. This will be a hard mindset to change. Excellent point. Shelly, yes, that's a ton for a puppy. And as Tevin says, (laughs) time to get a dog from the shelter. Tevin, I love you, man. And we got to get connected, reconnected. But uh, on a serious note, we we have um, both of our current pets are rescues. You know, we we have we've taken in, um, uh, I think our previous three pets were rescues. So that's typically where we've gone. This is the first time, much like me being in the mall for the first time forever. It's my one of my (laughs) first times in recent memory in a, a pet store. And my have times have changed. It felt more like you're you're stepping foot on a on an auto dealership, and there's actually autos that are available for sale. Inventory is good, <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're going to be looking at the shelter again, the SBCA. Uh, Ted, and we'll see. Um, all right, so Enrique and Sophia love talking retail. One of my favorite topics. Let's let's shift gears though. Now, important to note, Enrique and Sophia, I am never confused as an economist. Uh, that was not one of my strongest <laughs> uh, uh, micro and macro econom- uh, economics in, in college. Accounting, man, it tortured me uh, throughout my time. Me too. Okay, Sophia, good. <laughs> All right. Like, is it called tea tables? Uh, let, let's go with it. We'll go with it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but a few economic metrics uh, I want to touch on here. Uh, the Commerce Department last week reported that a little bit of good news here. Inflation's pace has continued to slow for the third consecutive month. That's good. Still, prices are still going up, just not uh, as much. Consumer mm-hmm. spending has decreased uh, 0.2% from November to December. And, you know, the Fed, that's, that's one of the things they're after. They're trying to strike that balance uh, between controlling inflation but not constricting the economy. Um, some retailers are reporting that consumers – here's something that goes back to that flower part of the conversation – Consumers are less and less likely to accept and pay for increased prices on some goods. So we might be hitting a, a ceiling in some case there. And by the way, here's a little, um, this seems intuitive, 
but it's a good good little nugget here. Consumer spending makes up 70% of the U.S. economy. One last note here, despite lots of layoffs, sadly, especially across the tech sector, the unemployment rate remains at a uh, a long time, like a 50-year low of 3.5%. So a few economic metrics here today on the buzz. Sophia, uh, your thoughts there? I think that I learned this a bit late when I started working, but it is really important to look at these uh, economic uh, background and context also for the way in which you plan either supply or your um, the products you're going to sell. Mm. Because sometimes we overestimate consumer behavior uh, or demand. We, we're very optimistic and we think that people with a great marketing strategy, with, a, um, with no return policy, uh, no questions asked for returns or et cetera, we can uh, keep our numbers up. And I think it's a good time uh, to start leveraging this type of analysis and rethinking the way you do things um, and understanding, is my product one of those that people are not willing to pay more Yep. if it goes up, yes. if the price goes Absolutely. up? Right? We'll, we only have so much money. <laughs> we, we can only... <laughs> Right. Uh, uh, it's, it's only feasible to pay only so much more, right, Sophia? Otherwise, we gotta, uh, we gotta pull back, right? Exactly, correct. Um, all right, and we can we'll get your take next. Uh, but Shelly says here, I, I don't see how some of those numbers can be right, especially unemployment. Shelly, it's a great call out. Um, and you know that doesn't. As I was as I was digesting these numbers, especially in light of you know just last week, we were talking about. Um, the the rolling list of companies that have announced layoffs, I bet as um, as the, some of those benefits and some of the severance packages start to um, to you know come to an end and, and, and are used up, and as those folks truly hit the um, hit the street looking for their next gig, that we'll start to see that unemployment rate of three point five percent probably change dramatically, and also if we do move into, and again, not to be confused by an, with an economist, but if we move into a full-blown recession and we see more and more uh, layoffs, naturally, of course, that number will be adjusted. So I think we're going to, um, you know, it could be, there's a term for that, Enrique, um, where, you know, the number's here now, but that's because things are still kind of uh, filtering filtering through, right? Yeah, there's a little lag, right, in the numbers. Yeah, thank you, Enrique, Yes. Yes, a lagging indicator, maybe. But your thoughts here, or general thoughts about where the economy, any any of those numbers there? Well, in general, we see it through the supply chain very clearly, right? Demand is down, and uh, everyone agrees that demand is down. Now, the Fed is doing a good job, or at least what they're doing, moving the interest rates has helped a lot. And we see it in the article that you shared with us and you're talking about today. So how effective is that going to be to prevent the full-blown um recession, then that's still, you're still waiting to see that, right? I think that the Fed might actually have to continue raising interest. But again, I'm not a, I'm not an expert either. Uh, this is my own personal opinion based on what I know and what I talk, uh, some of the conversations that I've had with other people. But yes, I think, uh, I think the, re- the good news is that it seems to be working. So maybe interest rate will probably get closer to five, maybe 5.5%. But before we're thinking they could probably go all the way to six and seven. Sure. So I think there's there's good news in the article. Now, um, I also believe to Sophia's point that we are very bad at projections. Mm. And I think it's both. Sophia mentioned a lot when it came to the man, and we're usually very optimistic. But I would argue that we're equally bad when it comes to like bad news. I think we kind of exaggerate both. And so yeah. I don't know how to factor in uh, the media in all this. I totally believe that their media has been portraying this recession uh, very, very uh, negatively mm. uh, and maybe missing some of these kind of key indicators that you mentioned, yep. like unemployment and things like that. So I don't, I don't know where we are. I think the media has a big part to play. Hopefully it won't become one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. Um, so yeah, let's just be aware right. right just read more be aware don't follow yeah. whatever you read on your 
Instagram, WhatsApp, or any other social media, right? Just yeah, especially because the wording is so misleading. Like when you get just um, snackable, right. I'm gonna use that word. <laughs> snackable, I like it. <laughs> who, who in the world uses snackables around here? That's, that's terrible. <laughs> uh, God taught me that. Uh, so, that's right. Uh, when that. you, you when you see those like tiny uh, bits of news, it's very misleading because it yeah. makes you think you know it all. Like the other day I read something like they wanted to source cement and concrete from space. And I was like, what? <laughs> this cannot be real. So I dig more and I found it's not like that. It's just like a way to get attention. But many friends were telling me like, oh my God, they're going to source concrete from, from space. And it's not true. So to Shelly's point again, maybe the uh, these numbers feel wrong because of the title of the news or how they frame it. But once you read it and dig out more, you find out, oh, the, the real thing is another story. Yes. Context uh, is important. Doing, doing the work, doing the homework, uh, challenging all assumptions is really important. The, you know, Paul Harvey, the story behind it or the rest of the story, going and finding that is really important. So I, I agree with y'all now with all of that said, uh, the latest, uh, some of the latest banking projections, and we'll see how, how far off they are, Enrique and Sophia. They're expecting a little bit of growth in the first quarter, 2023, from an economic standpoint. And then really, uh, uh, at least the, the majority of, not everybody, but a lot of experts tend to believe the last three quarters of the year is where we're going to see uh, uh, some, some not-so-good numbers. So we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. But the sky's not falling, Enrique and Sophia, right? Enrique, go ahead. Well, no, just like uh, experience share on something that I just heard from from a friend of mine, which I believe was really brilliant. Like what they're doing in their company as they're forecasting their demand and just projecting and having the strategic plan for this year. What they did is basically just hit the two columns, 2020, 2021, and they're basically basing all their projections on 2019. So what they're, I guess, saying is, let's just forget about this last two years. It was just way <laughs> too difficult to understand we will make our plan based on 2019 and all the growth that we'll have. And, and it looks different, right? Because if you factor in 2020 and 2021, right. there's no way you can grow, right? right? Most industries, most companies. So, uh, so I thought it was like a very nice trick that they're applying right now to make sure that not only their sales force, but their operational team and everyone is living, aligned to reality, right? right? So take, forget about the pandemic. Let's just, plan without those two years in and see how it looks. And I bet that even with uh, recession, if we do end up getting one, if you <laughs> expand your horizon and average it out yes. for the last four years, it will look very different. Well, you know what? We'll see. We will see. Uh, and of course, we will uh, keep our uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on there. Um, for the sake of time here today, Enrique and Sophia, first off, got y- y'all both are getting high praise from one Leah Luton. That's right. Hey, mom, love you. Uh, in <laughs> Aiken, South Carolina, she's really enjoying our guest today. Thank you that uh, for that, uh, Leah Luton. Um, so let's do this. Uh, I as well. I'm really enjoying y'all's take and the conversation through all these stories. But we're going to wrap on uh, a project both of y'all are working on and leading. And that's Supply Chain Now in Espanol, right? So uh, Spanish-only programming on all things supply chain, logistics, and leadership, you name it. But but don't 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 take my word for it. Uh, Sophia, let's start with you. What can folks expect either uh, in the rearview mirror with what y'all have done or, or in the weeks and months to come? I don't know if it's a spoiler, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I think you can expect uh, a new look, a very exciting guest coming up. Um we I think additionally all the topics that are going to be shared are not only related to supply chain, which that broadens the way in we in which we look at things. Mm-hmm. And and you get to you also get to find that connection to other industries, other roles, other companies, which is kind of nice. Um what else? I think uh more 
connection to the audience. That's something that uh, we are actively seeking. And yeah, I, I think things are coming very good, very exciting. And it's time to learn Spanish. I, I would just that's, say that. that's right. And I'm gonna nice. I'm gonna bone up on that on, on my Spanish speaking ability, Sophia. Uh, I certainly appreciate the challenge. Now, Enrique. It's been the third year that Scott has told me <laughs> that's that. True. That's true. And we have them on video. All right. <laughs> yeah, There's we have evidence. Video evidence of this as well. Oh, man. All right. All right. Y'all got me good there. Um, all right. Well, here's an example of a, uh, the most recent episode, uh, Sophia and Enrique. Enrique, let's shift over to you. Uh, talk about this episode maybe and, and talk about what's, what's, what's coming with Supply now in Espanol. Yeah, Luis Sierra, very thoughtful leader in Mexico, disrupting the uh, airline business uh, in Mexico. He is also part of the conscious capitalism movement. So a very interesting approach to this very, of course, uh, I don't want to use the word old fashioned, but it's very traditional industry yep. that has been developing quickly. So. I think Sophia's right. I think it will be very exciting. I think we actually are getting very good guests now, and I think their experiences are uh, wide-ranging and very interesting. So I've been having a blast having the conversations, and I also have been learning a lot. So if if you kind of are interested in similar conversations, please don't hesitate. Join us. Subscribe. And if you're interested in like kind of knowing what this episode is about, you can go to the supply chain page and read the transcript in English. It might not be 100% the exact words, but I think that's a way you can also like learn about it. This one's very interesting. It's about air freight and air cargo. And right now, especially in Mexico, there is going to be a huge shift in how uh, com air cargo companies are going to be impacted by a government policy. So that's also interesting, new challenges ahead. And yeah. Well said. Well said, Sophia and Enrique. Oh, yeah. There are captions in YouTube. Yes. So uh, while the languages are being conducted in Spanish, still, uh, for our English speakers out there, the YouTube videos have English closed captions. And again, as Sophia made a great point, it's not going to be perfect translation. You know, we're, we're, we're getting better and better. Uh, thanks to the whole team. But y'all check that out. And Enrique, Sofia, great work. I'm really excited about what is to come with this uh, tremendous uh, uh, program here. Yeah, um, And I think especially for the people that are working in Latin American regions, to have this context of these uh, people in the industry and news, that's also some a way of growing in that region you're leading. Excellent point. Excellent point. You know, there's all, all sorts of growing opportunity uh, across uh, Mexico, Latin, South America. So it's an excellent call out, Sophia. Um, okay, folks, I hate that we've uh, kind of reached the end of the show here today. Hey, one last comment here. Peter Ole, all night and all day. Great to see you. He says, good oh, day. Hi. He's been listening in the background. Be well and stay safe. Um Thank you, Peter, and great to see you here as well. I hope you have a wonderful week coming up. All right, so Enrique, um, one last question for you and Sophia. How can folks connect with you, Enrique? Yeah, you can go to our website at VectorGL.com, or you can uh, hook me up by uh, going to LinkedIn under Enrique Alvarez, uh, Vector Global Logistics. Awesome, and we've got the link there for Leveraging Logistics for Ukraine. You want to click away, uh, you can sign up for the next meeting. You can just learn more about uh, what's going on, getting some of the market intel on the, the need. Uh, check all that there, uh, VectorGL.com or that link. And Sophia, how can folks connect with you? Uh, you can shoot me an invite on LinkedIn. Like, it's my social media. So, <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. It's just that easy, right? Just that easy. It's very easy. Very easy. <laughs> well, hey, uh, connect with Sophia, connect with Enrique and their teams. Get involved because uh, most importantly here, as we start to sign off here, it's about deeds, not words, right? Take action. We're, we've all had plenty and too much of lip service leadership. So big thanks to Enrique Alvarez, Sophia Rivas Herrera. Big thanks to all of y'all that tuned in, all the comments that uh, we, we could and could not get to. Y'all keep it coming. Uh, but on behalf of our entire team here at Supply Chain, now Scott Luton signing off for now, challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. 
Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.